Hey, I'm Will Laviste. He's Eric Laville. You're tuned into Laviste and Claville. We give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. Getting right to the show. NFL and HBCUs, broken promises. You know, recently there's been in this era that we're in with um, racial, um, heightened racial awareness. HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, have gotten an increased attention, particularly in the area of sports, the NFL and also the NBA. But recently the NFL draft happened and there was not one, again, not one HBCU player who was drafted. And you go back to the last year's draft, there was only one that was actually drafted. But in this particular year, the expectation was that you know, there would be a closer look at HBCU talent, which is clearly there. And so there's been some surprise as to why there was not even one player drafted. So Deion Sanders, who along the way, obviously Hall of Fame player, went to Florida State University, but which is nearby to Florida A&M. So he's very familiar with HBCUs, and he is now the head coach at Jackson uh, State, which – brought a lot of fanfare, a lot of attention of this potential movement of a lot more NFL players. He's not the first to go and coach at HBCU, nor the first to to um, be at the be at the level and, re- and recognize the talent. But in this current climate, it certainly has raised the attention that black college football is quality football. But how is it that that's the case? Yeah. You get not one player being drafted you know will you know to Deion sanders credit he's brought a lot of positive uh um, uh notoriety to hbcus and their football teams and programs uh mm-hmm. recently now before that time period some of the greatest players came from hbcus absolutely you had some uh, uh big time sports uh, leagues and teams that were exclusively drafters from certain HBCUs, such as Southern University and Grambling State University with Eddie Robinson. You had Coach Mumford at, at Southern. You had John McClendon at, at North Carolina Central. You had all these great coaches, you know, of, right. you know, yesteryear that produced the Mel Blunts, that produced the Jerry Rices. You know, <laughs> you know that, the list goes on and on. The Walter right. Payton and, and the like. You know, Aeneas Williams, I think about the most recent Hall of Fame from Southern University. You know, so he's brought he's brought again great notoriety currently and recently to a new uh a, a new group of, of, of consumers of sports. Right. And with all of that, you know, to to their credit, Will, to their credit, the sports uh uh Networks, they picked up on the games. They gave a lot of positive airplay. They gave a lot of positive light to historical struggles, the injustice, and so forth. But, Will, it all boils down to having a seat at the table and cash money. And this past NFL draft, you know, um, Deion Sanders was living. And out of seven rounds, over 200 and some odd players, with in the first three, four picks, you had a D2 player go as a, as a in a high-profile position. And hats off to him in that particular uh, team uh, that right. produced a lot of players now. But not one, not one player from HBCU. Was Division drafted. one from a dude. 
Division one. From a division one, exactly. From a division one. Not one was drafted. Now, we did get some, they got calls, of course, through the ages to come, you know, try out and so forth. But it's nothing like hearing your name called, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Well, no one can ever take away that you were drafted in the fifth round, the third round, the second, the first, the sixth, even the seventh, even Mr. Irrelevant. No one can take that away from you. Hearing your name, all those years of working, Pop Warner, backyard football, or when we used to play sideline hit on in the street, you know, hit each other. <laughs> <in the street. laughs> you know, all these games, man, th- throw up and catch, right? Throw it up, right. catching the right. run, right? Tapping, and then go. All of this time that you played, middle school, high school, college, grinding in the gym, and you don't get your name called. You can't yeah, tell I mean, me. It, it, they didn't deserve it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's impactful because, again, and, and, and to be clear, not getting drafted does not necessarily mean that you're not going to make it in the NFL, that you're not going to be able to, that you're not a quality player. In fact, there have been, as a result of not getting drafted, there's still been players who have gotten um, a free agent contracts yeah. at this point, too. So not being drafted doesn't mean you're not going to make it, and being drafted doesn't mean that you're not going to make it, you know, that you are going to make it. However, to not be drafted, to have this increased focus on HBCU athleticism and to not be drafted does, in a sense, kind of signal and say, well, is there really the talent level? Is there really the quality at those schools? And you and I know that 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 is definitely the case. And I think that is one of the reasons why and I'm glad that Deion Sanders is doing this is that he's holding sort of a, um, a satellite, sort of a, a pro day for the NFL to actually be able to see and showcase uh, this talent. Um, he's planning to do this in the, in the month of June. And again, we, you, you know, yes, there are nuances. There are certain positions that, get greater attention in the NFL. Like, for example, the the quarterback position is one. So if you've got some talent, even if, that's a, if it's at the Division II level, that the person has some skill set that they feel that they can work with, you know, they'll draft you. At the running back position, there's a less of an emphasis because there's a feeling that running backs, you know, you can pick up. Running backs are not – a position that, that lasts, that has as long a, of a career. And there are um, yes. a lot of guys who can run the ball or they can make allowances. They can design their offensives in such a way that the running back is not as crucial. But, um, you know, to not get a draft, a player drafted at all, uh, is, is problematic. And I wonder if, you know, I want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I wonder if, in some ways, that's also a signal to potential players coming out to say, hey, if you go to HBCUs, you know, you may not get drafted to go to the league. So maybe, um, you know, maybe that's the reason you, you, you want to look over here at this predominantly white institution because we're going to get you at least an opportunity to get gra- drafted. And that's a potential message that is being heard that I hope is not one that sticks. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, going to a D1 uh, does not uh, ensure that you're going to get drafted, even going to one of the best institutions. One of my classmates, uh, his son, 
was a high profile player coming out of high school and into college, went to the top football program in the country, uh, but ended up not getting drafted right. um, because of injuries and so forth. So sometimes life happens, but he was in a great position and he did get a free agent call, right? Uh, in order to, you know, showcase his skills in the mm-hmm. league. But I, I want to move back to, you know, what Deion Sanders is doing. So in light of this, uh, this past draft of not one African-American player, and I say African-American, but one player from HBCU being drafted, right. uh, he is holding a one-day camp for coaches to ensure that this will not happen again. Now the question becomes, uh, what this will entail, will there be scouts there? Will there be individuals from the NFL corporate office there? What would this entail? What would happen? But the fact that he, so that's, that's to be determined, but the fact that he's doing, it, the yeah. fact that this is uh, something that he is moving in a direction to bring light to, I think again, is another positive, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, we know that there's been a trend, uh, former, you know, stars in NFL, wanting to pivot toward coaching and go in straight into head coaching at HBCUs. Um, so that's become a minor trend, of course, with Tennessee State, Eddie George, of course, at Southern University, right. my alma mater, Marshall Fox, um, put his hat he in the ring. expressed some interest. Yeah. He expressed interest, and they ended up hiring after Coach Odom left and came here to Norfolk State University. Uh, we ended up hiring the assistant under Odom that was there. So – you know, we see this trend happening. This is a good trend, many see, because of the notoriety, again, that's coming. Sometimes, you know, notoriety is good, uh, even though it may not be the best talent or the best uh, person at that time, but notoriety is good because it brings a lot of, lot of attention to your program. So with this being the case, the question becomes, how can we now leverage this attention? How can we leverage what is happening to our institutions in order to, again, have a seat at the table, make sure that our players are drafted, our players are in the league, that our kids are not, quote unquote, coming here, giving it their all and not having an opportunity to succeed. I'll give you another quick example. A young man who, you know, we, uh, his father and I are very good friends and grew up the church, we grew up the church that we attended when we were in college and got our start there, raised our family there, our son got baptized there. You know, my wife and I taught his son Sunday school and so forth. We watched a young man grow. He became right. the all-time leading rusher in the swag. He became the all beat, you know, beat out Walter Payton in his numbers. Yeah, this is a little young man we saw come up. When they played Georgia, it took several individuals, defenders, to bring him down. He scored the only touchdown mm-hmm. on a running play on the University of Georgia Bulldog defense. This is how good this young man was. But the opportunities for scouts to see him, the all-time leading rusher in the history of a sports uh, conference, did not get the looks that other running backs were getting at these D1 schools. Now, he did end up playing with the uh, Tennessee Titans, Green Bay Packers, end up getting getting hurt. Uh, but Lenore Tillery III, Lenore Tillery III, that's that young man. He's got a movie, a documentary out now that you can, uh, you, you can see yeah. that was, that was well-produced that talked about his journey, you know, uh, from a walk-on under coach Odom, who's here now in Norfolk state and hmm. battling every season. But, you know, again, putting in the work. And I remember us giving him, 
uh, one of our weight benches <laughs> when we were getting ready to move, uh, uh, Will. But, but again, that just highlights the quality of players, solid family, solid background, every solid all the way out, but not getting an opportunity. So how do we change that narrative, Will? Well, I think that one of the things we have to leverage is the unique and quality experience that students get when attending an HBCU. So one of the drawing points is you can come to these schools and you're going to have a full, well-rounded college experience as opposed to going to many of the big-time major D1 schools where so much of why you're there is strictly about playing sports. Now, yes, a lot of students also in that context are able to get their degrees. They're able to have experiences and relationships on campus. But if you talk to any of the D1 players, like I remember, you know, I went to grad school, University of Arizona, Arizona Wildcats, beer down. Okay. Right. Okay. And spent a lot of time with the ball players on the football team, basketball team. And they would tell you, they were often telling me about the level of, of practices that they were having to go to, the tutors that they needed to actually ha- have them enable, enable them to be able to stay eligible and get through school. They often asked me about the HBCU experience that I had and craved that and say, man, they really wish that they could have had that kind of experience. Wow. So it's not to say that if you go to an HBCU, you're not going to be practicing at the same level. Again, the quality, as you just eloquently stated, of being able to play is there. The, the ability to maximize your talent on the gridiron is going to be there. But one of the things that we can leverage is this unique cultural experience as along with the quality education that you're going to, that you're going to get. To, so we can be encouraging students to come to these schools and say, you, you're, you're going to graduate. We're going to create an environment where you're going to be successful. You're going to have a great cultural experience. You're going to graduate. There's nothing like an HBCU football game with the band and the crowd and that whole that whole vibe that for, for your uh, cultural experience. I think another thing that we have to do is you have to leverage and you have to um, improve the facilities in areas where the facilities aren't as great as they could be. And many of our schools have excellent facilities. Do they match the level of Alabama, USC? Of course not. All the wealth, all of the all of the the monies that's been put into those institutions to build those those facilities yeah. like that. Yeah, but you got a lot of schools that have yeah. quality facilities, and that's a, oftentimes is this misnomer that oh, if you go there, you know this the facilities are so inferior that you're never going to be able. That's that's bull. There are plenty of schools that, that take their sports, take football. In this case, we're talking about football seriously, and they have great facility that you're going to be able to maximize your ability. So we got to leverage those things. Great experience, great education, quality facilities, quality ball. Will, you mentioned, you know, the facilities at the, you know, the Alabamas and the other D1 schools, the LSUs and, and the SEC and all around. No, I mean, who, who does have facilities? <laughs> A lot of schools don't have facilities that, that come to those levels. You, you're right. Absolutely. You know, but but they get these facilities. Keep in mind, it's not that the schools are wealth, wealthier just automatically. 
But the conferences leverage in the contracts with the TV rights, the TV contract. And this is where we get into amateurism, right? Uh, amateur athletes or, or athletes who are student athletes, you know, where, you know, we can bring in a billion dollars a year. One billion dollars a year. That's what the NCAA March Madness brings in. One billion dollars a year, right? For several weeks, everybody's tuned into their TV for one shining moment type of t- type of uh, play, right? And what ends up happening is that those schools now they they divide that money up, you know, for for people who are looking. So that's why you see in schools that are, that were juggernauts in the past, but they have the TV contracts like the Notre Dames that yeah. really aren't getting over the hump competing with the other schools. But back in the day, they were the team to beat. But they leveraged their entity as an independent school with ABC uh, network, and they get all of that revenue, right? And then you have the boosters around the country and uh, the the alums that pour into and support the institutions. Now, we support our teams as well. But at the end of the day, if you're vice president of a company and you're a manager or you're a worker, the, the, the level of support financially is just totally different, right? right? So... So when we take a look and understand where that money comes from, Will, now the question becomes, since we know we have the talent, since we know we have the overall experience that HBCUs give, since we know that we have the passion behind it, we got the quality families and athletes, what I just mentioned, uh, with Chiller III overcoming the odds from walk-on to all-time great at Southern University. Now, Will, what is the next step to put it all together to leverage this package with the TV TV stations, with the leagues and the like, where do we go? I think where we go is it's exactly what you said about identifying all of those assets and also looking at all of the different other channels that are available for marketing your product. I mean, it's the major networks Without knowing all of the ins and outs, because I'll acknowledge, I, I don't know all of the ins and outs of the, the economics of sports and, and, the, and the conferences and the networks. But with all of these other distribution channels that we have available to us that are upsetting other areas of TV marketing, it would seem to me that there are opportunities there to be able to get in front of people and to put a product in front of people that um, that folks would be able that folks would buy into, and I think that also what we've seen with uh, the major um, uh, networks being willing to broadcast the HBCU games, that we need to exemplify to to, to to heighten that. And and again, I, I was watching, for example, um, this past weekend. The spring league, NFL's got a you know a league, a league uh, where it's a developmental league um, showing spring ball. A lot of the ball players, in fact, there were a lot of HBCU players that were in the game, and it was actually a, a very high quality football game. Now we've seen the XFL, we've seen the all of these different leagues come arena, along. Arena football, <laughs> arena football, come along, right? It's telling you that there is something, there is something there, if marketed right, if you hit the right tone, that people will buy into. Now, the Spring League, true, 
there's no salaries tied to it at all. That's that's one of the, you know, that's one of the angles of it because I can imagine that if you had to pay all of these salaries along with providing these opportunities, it's going to cut it's going to cut into the profit margin. But I think that it's about being innovative and looking at all of the distribution channels that are now out here. If we just sat and said you can only go through NBC or CBS or Fox or ESPN, then you would have no Netflix, for example. If if you just sat back and said, you know, we just we can't do anything other than the major networks, there would be no Netflix. So when I talk about looking at the other distribution channels, it's about being innovative and taking this unique product and taking it out to the marketplace in in new and innovative ways. People are looking at viewing content on their phones. You know, what can the HBCUs do to um, market that product in a way that people will digest it on their phones and you'll be able to generate revenue? So you just got to be innovative and creative. You know, you mentioned innovative, creative, raise awareness. I want to talk about what Chris Paul did during the the bubble. You know, every, every, seems like every day, Chris Paul, the uh, porn guard now for the Phoenix Suns, uh, who they call the Walkie Hall of Famer, um, he had on a different HBCU sweatshirt or, or, or um, sweatpants or some type of apparel every single day showcasing, you know, giving love to HBCUs. And we right. saw other players, you know, show that as well. And then he even had a, uh, a movement where you sign up for a certain app and whatever change, spare change you have, you could donate to your HBC and so forth. You know, I saw that that was, that was something that I thought was, um, we've seen many, many entities do. We saw it on the Cosby show where Bill Cosby would wear. Right. So about product placement, essentially. That's, it's called product placement advertising. Yeah. Yeah. And living single, they used to have it on their their show, you know, going back to the 80s and 90s, you know, where it was a black show, quality black shows. See, like every, every every time you turn your head, you know, there's a new Lorenz Tate, a Neil Long movie that's coming out, you know, or something, something of that nature. But yeah. again, that product placement, but it, it showed you, oh, there's my school. Did you guys see that? And your friends are asking you, where's that university? Where's that university? But we see the momentum. It's, it's a lot of hype, Will. But then the monetization and the recognition, it, it drops off a cliff. So I think that the challenge now is, and you touched on it a little bit, the challenge now is how do we create a model where it stays, it sticks, you know, where now every universe is not going to be a blue blood, right? Kind of like the, we talk about basketball, the Kentuckys, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Indianas, the UCLAs. The Kansases. No, everybody's not going to be that blue You may have some that are startups uh, that are stables for a while, like the VCUs, the Butlers, and the like. And then you have everyone else kind of in the middle that compete at a very high level and can win it in any given year, right? But how do we create that, that model, that marketing model to ensure that we always are in the conversation, we're always in the forefront, and we're always there uh, to get a piece of the pie. Because, again, we talked about billions of dollars. Right? Billions yeah. of dollars from student athletes. Am- the, the amateurization of college sports is really what it's become. And to ensure that they're able to uh, 
represent the university, but the university gets its due. Well, I think, again, part of it is in the spirit of being innovative and thinking outside of the box. You think about this big, wide world that we have in other continents that this content could be marketed to. So you got the continent of Africa, you got Asia, you got Mm -hmm. South America, you got other places where this content could be marketed to. So again, thinking about, for example, a lot of in the movie industry and how there are movies that begin in the United States, but then there's overseas marketing, overseas distribution that happens that generates revenue. So there's a lot of movies that do maybe mediocre in the United States, but then overseas in Europe or somewhere in another continent, they do a lot better. So you have to look at those kinds of things and say, okay, one of the key markets for any university, it's this international market. You know, a lot of drawing international students are coming to a university. So can we market HBCU football? Can we market HBCU basketball to some of these other markets? And in there, package and sell and talk about the schools and the quality of schools. I mean, there's distance learning that's going on that doesn't necessarily require someone to come and get on a plane or get on a boat and come physically to your school. So, again, those are the kinds of things that I think about is how with the distribution channels that we have and the abilities that we have to reach people, not only here in the States, but in other markets with this product that we have, can we package it in a way that other people will pay for? Because as you said, the advertising, it's really about having content that advertisers can put their products around in order to get in front of people. So if folks are enjoying watching HBCU football or basketball over at Africa, then all the advertisers looking at is, do you have eyeballs that I can run ads on on that product? You know, so that's what I look at. I say, man, we got other economies that could be reached. You know, you've got other, again, this is like why a lot of jazz artists have gone over to Europe and gone over to other areas. You think of a lot of musicians that maybe they didn't break through or maybe they, uh, their careers hit a lull in the United States. And they went overseas and did quite well and developed great following. So I well, think well, we're, that kind of thinking is, is, is what could be applied here too. Well, I think you're exactly right. And you talk about going overseas, let's look at sports. You know, again, going back in your neck of the woods, you know, NYC, New York, you got Stefan Marbury that left. Right. And he's, an, to- he's an icon in China. Who would have thought somebody from soups. Coney Island? Who would have thought Coney Island, Brooklyn, Coney Island? He's an he's a athletic, a basketball icon in China. Yeah. I mean, so you're talking a country that has close to 30% of the world population. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a country that's creating more millionaires every day than any country in the, in the world. Right. You're talking about a country who is definitely the number two um, economy in the world and really rising to compete with the United States in the very near future. And Stefan Marbury got ahead of the curve, went to China, right. and like that's you right. said, now you know his name uh, is probably 
bigger than Kobe Bryant, you know, the late great Kobe Bryant who's over there. I mean, who's who who passed away. And he's probably a little bit lower than uh Yah Me, of course. Who's yeah, I mean he he's bigger than he's probably bigger than Jordan in terms of basketball and China and being an icon. He's got the statue out there. Yeah. So yeah. that's an opening. Again, there's an appreciation for black culture that happens in other continents Beautiful. that's different than here. So why not market that and do it in that way? You know, Will, I love the way you're thinking, you know, and, and I want to also draw, draw the point where during the summers, you know, there was, you know, the, some of the Golden State Warriors and LeBron hold camps. They were holding camps overseas in China and Asia and so forth, uh, capitalizing on, on that. And I remember back in the day, uh, Grambling State University band, Eddie Robinson, uh, Eddie Robinson, football coach in the band. I think they were invited to Japan on, on a couple of mm-hmm. occasions to go play. Uh, so, you know, is, is that marketing, like you said, of our culture, creating that market for it and then understanding, you know, where we fit in in the big picture. And then all of a sudden, when our stock is here, make sure we own it first. Exactly. But when our stock is here, use it to have a seat at the table. Don't sell or, as uh, my wife would say, throw your uh, pearls to, to the swine. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, that has been the case. It's not like our culture hasn't been marketed. We just haven't always and oftentimes have not reaped the uh, benefits of the capital benefits, the financial benefits of that marketing. And I think that HBCUs as an institution, um, if they can combine forces and go in a packaged kind of way. I mean, I know Lincoln University, my alma mater, being in CIAA, CIAA basketball tournament continues to this day to be, even though it's Division II, continues yeah. to be the the probably premier basketball tournament in terms of being a cultural experience yeah. that people go to and people engage. And the, and, the ball, and the ball that's played by both the men and the women is high quality basketball. So you should yeah. be able to market uh, that that tournament and other tournaments like that creatively, you know. Yeah, and when we talk about the premier football game uh, of HBCUs, it's the Bayou Classic. It's on national That's TV right. every year between Southern University, my alma mater, and Grambling State University in the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana, where we would sell out the Superdome when the Saints were the Aints, uh, but we were selling out 60,000 you know, beautiful, proud black people and alums of HBCUs. Well, that's a wrap for us again. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the Cinqueville. I want to give a quick plug again. Right. Walk on to All Time Great. Check it out. It's a great story. And he really encompasses what we're talking about on this show, where we have HBCUs that are producing some of the best and the greatest athletes, not of yesterday, not just the Jerry Rice's and the Walter Payne's of yesterday, but also today. Follow us on our social media at LaVise and Claville. And to us, that's the way we see it, and that's the way it is. Until next time, be well.